This morning we continue on in our spring sermon series, Science, Faith, and the Future. And some of you are probably wondering why we had such inordinately long scripture readings. Well, if you were impatient with that, you must have been very impatient with the creation itself. To a hard scientist, I am nowhere close, though I have always loved science. To a scholarly theologian, I am a simple preacher and teacher, though I do love theology. Having said that, I still want to make some claims this morning, and you are free to agree or disagree. The Bible is not a scientific textbook. Jesus could not have imagined an idea as complex as Einstein's theory of relativity. The medical understanding among biblical writers was the common wisdom of their time and place, not remotely close to our understanding of medical science. None of us would go to doctors who use the Bible as their only medical textbook. Studies of plant life, animal life, human life, available up until the 20th century, were primitive, to say the least. When, when knowledge expands, it renders the interpretive framework of ancient people insufficient and reveals the inadequacies of the past. For people living in one age to try to cling to the objective truthfulness of the concepts of another age seems antiquated at best. Now, there are some ultra-conservative Christian fundamentalists who believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It is absolutely infallible, without error in all matters pertaining to faith and practice, as well as in such areas as geography, science, history, etc. To put on such blinders not only seems silly, but it is also irresponsible. The earth is not flat. And in recent months, we've, we've begun to glimpse how space travel is becoming a reality. The earth is not the center. And yet we still have language which perpetuates old world views, such as saying that the the sun rises and the sun sets when we know that the sun does not rotate around the earth, but it's exactly the other way around. We still use old world language to talk about the heavens and the earth and the underworld. We talk about heaven being up there. We talk about the earth being here and, well, something worse below. The people who lived during biblical times could never have imagined the capacity 
abilities and power of modern computers, let alone smartphones and modern transportation. The book of Genesis has two stories of creation. One where God spoke the creation into being. Think of the complexities of the millions of species of plants, animals, and so on. And God spoke those into being, said the author of Genesis. But there's also another creation story where the first human being is is scooped up and made, and then God takes one rib, one rib, and makes a woman as a helpmate. And then following that, we have the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent. You know that story. These stories were never meant to be taken literally, for to do so robs them of their power. To take them literally limits the truth and multiple levels of meaning they offer us in faith. I've been out in creation a lot lately, enjoying the beauty of nature. And of special interest to me is the wind, because it always reminds me of how Jesus compared the wind to the spirit. You can see its impact, but you can't see the source. Many of you will remember Joyce Kilmer's poem about a tree. It goes like this. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. A tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast. Poems are made by fools like me. Only God can make a tree. To which Ogden Nash quipped these lines later. I think that I shall never see a billboard lovely as a tree. Indeed, unless the billboards fall, I'll never see a tree at all. (laughs) Science and technology began to take on importance with the onset of the printing press. When paper and books became available for large numbers of people, education and the body of knowledge began to grow more rapidly. Whereas for, the mo- for almost all of humanity's history, the body of knowledge only doubled over many, many, many generations, Gutenberg's invention began the doubling process more and more rapidly until, as Michael mentioned last Sunday, the body of knowledge doubles about every 15 minutes. That boggles the mind. Creation and evolution. Creation and evolution. When it comes to evolution, I really don't need to tell you too much. You pretty well know the notion of Charles Darwin, right? I mean, when it comes to adaptations, changes, mutations, and the survival of the fittest as it pertains to how species have evolved over the millenniums of time. How things came to be can never be fully proven with complete, verifiable evidence. The great German theologian, 
who gave his life in the resistance against Hitler, wrote in his book, and this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, by the way, he wrote in his book, Creation and Fall Temptation, two biblical studies, quote, no one can speak of the beginning but the one who was in the beginning. Thus, the Bible begins with God's free affirmation, free acknowledgement, free revelation of God's self. In the beginning, God created. What happened? What really happened when the world was created? Who was there to record it? Geologists tell us that the earth is four to five billion years old and that human life approximates only about 1% of all that time. So here's how that midlife-turned-Christian C.S. Lewis put it. The act of creation, as it is for God, must always remain totally inconceivable to us. For we, even in our with our poets and musicians and inventors, never in the ultimate sense make. We only build. We only build. We always have materials to build from. And we can know about the act of creation, and all we can know about the act of creation must be derived from what we can gather about the relation of the creatures and the creator. End quote. We may be able to make something out of something, but we cannot make something out of nothing. As someone once observed, science has proof without certainty and creationists have certainty without proof. You see, creationists are the ones who believe the literal understanding of the biblical account of creation. But as you have rightly noticed, today's sermon title is not Creationists versus Evolution, which seems to be part of what the culture wars are all about. Rather, our sermon title is Creation and Evolution. The Bible relates the way ancients understood and interpreted their world. Our task is the same. We have to make sense of and interpret our world, but with vastly more knowledge and understanding. But even so, we still behold and bump up against mystery. Mystery. Barbara Kingsolver, in an essay called Small Wonder, penned these thoughts. There once was a time when Thoreau wrote, I have great faith in a seed. Convince me that you have a seed there, and I am prepared to expect wonders. She goes on. By the power vested in everything living, let us keep that faith. I'm a scientist who thinks it wise to enter the doors of creation, not with a lion tamer's whip, and chair, but with the reverence humankind has traditionally summoned for entering places of worship, a temple, a mosque, or a cathedral, a sacred grove 
as ancient as time. I personally believe that nature and creation are sacramental. Sacramental. In other words, they are full of the sacred. Just as communion is a sacrament and we celebrate the presence of Christ in the meal, so too in creation we can celebrate the presence of the Creator who is in all and with all and through all, God, all in all. So I believe the Bible is the living word of a living God. Not something that is entrenched and stuck in a pre-Christian and then first century worldview. Knowing capital T truth can, can transcend the, the advancements of science and the accumulation of knowledge. The truth of our scriptures is a word of encounter and presence. It is a living word, and we know that most profoundly in Jesus Christ. Now, I've said before that there are curious questions and there are crucial questions. Curious questions, they're interesting questions, but the answer doesn't really make a difference in how we live our lives. Crucial questions, now that makes a difference in how we live. Creation and evolution are likely, and it tends to be the way I make sense of the world around us. But that is not a crucial issue. The understanding that God is the creator it's, is what is crucial and not how God chose to do it. The truth of creation is not the how, but the why and for what. Creation is free, all of it. That's the way God made it. In the prologue of John's Gospel that be read for us, we have a very, very different creation story. It's a creation story, too. It's an imaginative one spun out of the author's mind's eye. It's abstract. It's about the Word, about living and having life. But it's about creating, and it's about connections. In the beginning, just as Genesis started, in the beginning, the same phrase, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Words create. In the beginning, after the water, the Spirit hovered over the chaos, the darkness, of the waters, on the first day God said, let there be, using words here, God spoke the creation into being. Words. And the writer of John picks that up in a whole new way and melds that with an understanding of Christology and who Jesus is. 
this new creation. In Christ, we are a new creation. There's a connection between the former and the new. Not a separation. Not an either or. God spoke. And it was so. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. That's incarnation. That's words getting into human stuff. And see, the ancients, they knew the power. They knew the creative power of words. The Greek word for word is logos. Or, and we translate that into ology. So we put ology at the end of different studies, sociology, geology, biology, theology. It's words about, the, about God. Theos is the word for God. So it's words about God. Same with all the others. You see, when the word becomes flesh, something new is happening. And you know what? We've been gifted with words. We're part of that creation too. Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a creation story? Creation is ongoing and free and unrestrained. Oh, people try to restrain it and tamp it down. But it cannot be. Now, for fundamentalists, in trying to keep the religion they love, they smother and kill it with cocksure ignorance. It's as though they want to check their minds at the door and take on a first-century worldview. At the other end of the spectrum, for those who are convinced there is no God and think they know better, They claim that God had nothing to do with anything. But that is a faith statement too. Because a theist, that's the Greek word for God, a theist is somebody who believes in God. And in Greek, when you put an A in front of a word, you mean the opposite. So an atheist is a non-believer in God. But I submit to you, both are faith statements Neither can be proven. Friends, as we are considering science, faith, and the future these spring Sundays, the issue is not creation versus evolution, for both are possible. In the end, we can never prove everything and how it's come to be. Sir Oliver Lodge offers this insight into our larger awareness. Genuine religion has its roots deep down in the heart of humanity and in the reality of things. It's not surprising that by our methods, we fail to grasp it. The actions of the deity make no appeal to any special sense, only a universal appeal. And our methods are, as we know, incompetent to detect complete uniformity. There is a principle of relativity here. And unless we encounter flaw or change, nothing in us responds. We are deaf and blind, therefore, to the imminent grandeur 
unless we have insight enough to recognize in the woven fabric of existence, flowing steadily from the loom in an infinite progress towards perfection, the ever-growing garment of a transcendent God. Science is so critical to so many of the advancements we have made in the last few hundred years, and I, for one, would never want to go back. But faith is essential as we face and consider the future. How we will live together as part of God's creation is essential to the well-being of all God's children and our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Let me suggest that we take science and intellect and knowledge just as far as we possibly can and then take the leap of faith into the future. I'd like to let the French priest and paleontologist, so think of that combination of professions, a priest and a paleontologist, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, I'd like to let him set the final tone for the sermon this morning. Someday, after we have mastered the winds, the waves, and the tides, and gravity, we will harness for God the energy of love. Then, for the second time in the history of the world, humanity will have discovered fire. So be it. And amen.